This is the Beyond the Studio podcast, and you're listening to Season 3, Beyond the Studio East Coast Edition. I'm Amanda Adams. And I'm Nicole Muller, and we're here to help you figure out the business of being an artist. Here we'll have honest conversations with artists, makers, and business experts, and dive deep into the work that happens beyond the studio. Since this podcast is hosted by two young adults, there's a possibility of some adult language. So if there are sensitive ears around you, be sure to pop in some headphones before you listen. If you find value in listening to these conversations, please consider leaving us a rating and a review or sharing some of your favorite episodes with your creative community. It's the easiest way to show us some love and help others find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Before we get started with today's episode, I just wanted to drop in, in case you didn't notice, this is part one of the conversation. So be sure to tune in next week to listen to part two. We do this whenever an episode goes kind of long, rather than give you a super long episode, we break it into two halves. So half one is today, part two is next week. Hey, it's Amanda. I want to tell you about Change Lab, a long-form interview podcast that explores the transformative power of creativity. Hosted by Lauren M. Buckman, the show is produced by Art Center College of Design, a global leader in art and design education. Change Lab tells extraordinary true stories about regular people living their life through the lens of creativity, the kind you won't see on the news or read about online. Change Lab guests are artists, designers, and entrepreneurs from diverse sectors, including popular culture, high art, Silicon Valley, corporate America, and the emerging fields of social innovation. Change Lab just began its seventh season, which is dedicated to amplifying Black voices in a conversation around creating concrete, measurable action towards a more diverse and inclusive art and design community at Art Center and beyond. The world is one giant nation of creatives. Change Lab's objective is to shine a spotlight on the little and big dreams that comprise the artistic life of people who can't help but make something where before there was nothing. Subscribe, listen, and enjoy Change Lab wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Beyond the Studio. We are really excited to be talking with Minku Kim, a Brooklyn, New York-based painter and a good friend of mine. And this interview is really special to me because Minku and I go way back to our high school days. We actually attended uh, the Marie Walsh Sharp Summer Program in um, high school as juniors and later ended up attending the Maryland Institute College of Art, uh, MICA together, which is, of course, where Amanda and I met. Um, so we all have a history and Minku has since gone on to do some incredible things and is currently living and working in New York, um, where he's also from. So Minku, thank you so much for agreeing to chat with us for the podcast. Uh, no, thank you so much for uh, inviting me to speak with you guys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I I feel like I have known you over the years and um, gotten to see uh, you know from the early days how talented and prolific you you always were. But I'm really curious to hear more about um, your experience and early influences um, like what role did art play in your life growing up right I guess art really started to become something more serious and become a part of my life since I immigrated to New York from Seoul South Korea in 2005 like when I was in Korea I was um, kind of a normal kid I mean even in America I was a normal high school kid but the big difference was that uh, I couldn't speak English as much. So in Korea, I was uh, like school president, soccer team captain. I was very like athletic and I, I never thought I would become an artist, you know? Like I was just a kid, like very typical Korean teenager who liked every sport, especially soccer. And I uh, just like studied and tried to get a good exam score and get into college kind of thing. 
But immigrating to New York, I was facing such a hard adversities of just not understanding like anything pretty much, nor being able to even like listen to my what high school teacher you know was telling me. So I took like ESL class, English as as a second language course, and I did I took a lot of uh, art classes. Not even a lot lot of art classes. I took like one per semester as much as my school offered and like I really put everything I got into art and music because like that was the only coping mechanism and also a big culture shock too like where I went to high school like I think I just wasn't used to this American culture you know like students were driving like it was a very different from Korea, like where no one drove until they were adults in Korea. I mean, like now maybe it's a little different, but like 15, 20 years ago, you know. But anyway, like so, yeah, art became such a like a like I mean, like a lot of rappers say, oh, music saved my life, rap saved my life, you know. But for me, like art saved my life. I'm of course music. I played a lot of keyboard and jazz and whatnot. So actually playing music was a bigger source of a cathartic experience for me. But uh, drawing was something that my high school art teacher, art department, like really pushed me. So that's the, like how I was introduced to Mario Sharpie Foundation during my department teacher. So I think everything started from my high school program. It's pretty fairly small program because a lot of my peers were interested in going to law school or like doctor, you know, medical school or like other Ivy League school. So like we had a fairly small program, but three of two or three of my art teachers, I think they told my parents that oh she should go to an art school or something, you know. But still, like I wanted to become an architect, and I wanted to go to the like certain architecture school. So like I went to like Cornell summer pre-college program, which I loved it. But then I realized that the English was still a barrier, you know? Like I did pretty well in the studio, like architectural drawing class or design class, but reading and writing and lecture seminar class, I had a, such a hard time. So like I realized that, you know what? Like life kind of was keep carving. My like option in life started to become more limited. And it really came down to like going to art school, you know? And it was like a matter of a which art college I, I needed to go. And like Micah, I got a big scholarship and my high school teachers were really encouraging me to go to Micah for some reason. I don't remember why, but I think scholarship was part of a big thing. And also kind of, a, you know, like in high school, every, every like I went to Manhattan to take like college, pre-college program at Cooper Union. So I was kind of used to this like New York Manhattan like life a little bit but uh, I think my teacher said yeah you know like go to like Baltimore and experience something new you might become a real adult or something you know so I give a lot of credit Mm -hmm. to my high school teacher like for real because I still stay in touch with them especially one teacher who wrote me a recommendation letters and he's been supporting my work and practice by kind of DMing me sometimes or texting actually we text quite a bit and we met up a few times and he did by like few works every other year or something you know so oh wow yeah so I give a lot of credit to my high school teacher where it all started you know and then of course when I got to Micah like it was a different pool of talents you know I think um I still have a lot of a um, kind of a conviction that my year our class of tw- 2012 were very uh, specifically talented group of people. Even seeing some of the names, you know, like like Kyle Dunn, like he's doing really well, you know, he's showing at like PPOW Gallery. There are like many people in New York City right now from my class who are showing in like Chelsea Gallery or doing full time or in a grad school. Yeah, there are a lot of people who are still active. So I think I was very stimulated and motivated, but also inspired by those talented peers. And like I worked my ass off in college and I learned a lot. And I think I became like stronger student. And then I start to sell, you know, like some classes, like professors, I offered to buy like my homework or my like assignments. So things, like I've been selling quite a bit in school, you know, 
like I think like it Micah like you know the Micah RCL I don't know if it's still going on but like whenever I did it like I would put like a lot of small paintings like 30 50 of them and I like sold most of them and I always had a luck with selling like painting so that's something that I kind of noticed myself even in high school I sold my like AP drawings to my high school teacher and some gallery wanted to buy my big painting from the Murray Walsh paint, you know, Murray Walsh Sharpie Foundation. Someone wanted to, some gallery guy who still has a gallery in Chelsea, he wanted to buy one of our assignment from the session, you know. So I always kind of had a feeling that, yeah, if I take this seriously, I can maybe make a living off of it. So I always had the conviction, you know, my parents were kind of I almost gave up art many times after graduating college being back in New York like I realized that I couldn't get much jobs and when I did all these odd jobs I was so frustrated and so depressed and I like literally it didn't make work for a while like a while as a year or longer you know art materials I couldn't buy paint and it's like so miserable but my parents were like oh you you kind of need to be an artist you know only advice we can give you is just start drawing again, you know? So that kind of was a brutal checking that, oh yeah, you know what, that's true. Like, all I can really do is start making work again with some hope, you know? And, and then I went to grad school in New York and I got a good scholarship uh, in grad school. So I went there and then in grad school in 2015, which is five years ago, I was like, this is a live or death situation, you know? like. If I don't do something at this point, I'm gonna live my rest of my life just as miserably, if not way worse miserably than this past like two years of post college life, you know? So I was like super hardcore in grad school and I was like every living, breathing seconds and minutes, I only thought about how to become a better young artist or art student. And like I like whoever professional or professors I met from the grad program, I always asked people, like older artists like how can I like become a sustaining artist or full time artist? And most of the like professors didn't have clear answers because I guess in retrospect when I look back, I guess they were teaching too to become you know. So I was like, wow, that's kind of a dumb question I asked. But at the same time, it was such a naive and sincere and desperate question that all these professors or older artists, it like lecturers, you know, I even asked the same questions to like, like, you know, like William Kentries, like Christopher O, like all these like artists, same exact question, like during the lecture or after the lecture, curators from like museums, I asked them, all the same question, how can I, you know, like kind of be a full-time artist? <laughs> and so, some people were kind of laughing at me, but some people were very, like, eh, the answer, their reaction was all different, but in essence, what I got from them was, like, just work hard, you know? <laughs> I, that was, you know, like, you know, in retrospect, the common denominator was just work hard, you know? So rest of the two years, I like worked my ass off. And in grad school, I was selling like bigger paintings and sculptures, like whatever I was doing, like drawings, I managed to sell here and there. Yeah, so I was kind of scraping by and, you know, I guess like working hard, that two word is so simple, but it's like real, you know, like it's, yeah, it's like no trick, you know. <laughs> so I've been like working really hard ever since and to a point that I was like kind of killing my own health, you know, but now I'm like trying to balance, like is it worth it to, you know, kill my health and, you know, so I'm kind of like learning quite a bit, you know, oh, now like success is not just like becoming a full-time artist, you know, it's about how can I sustain it in long term, not, you know, kind of crashing my health and getting hospitalized or, you know, paying medical bills or other issues, you know. So now, like, I think every day, I'm like, every week, every month, I, like, learn to be more matured artist, you know? I think my priority is kind of shifting, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think you touched on something that a lot of young artists wonder, which is that it's that big question of how how do you support and sustain a life as an artist? And I mean, that was in large part I, that what motivated you know Amanda and I to start the podcast. And so I think that question is still at the heart of um, you know of these conversations and wanting to really unpack that and. I was just thinking as you were talking to what a what a vote of confidence that is to have, you know, to have mentors and teachers that are willing to to support you not only in you know form of encouragement and education, but to you know to to want to buy your work at that early stage. How really meaningful that right. can be, just kind of psychologically right. to you know encourage you to keep going. So that's that's amazing. I feel like we've heard that from many artists. Just the importance of you know, early mentors in your life. I know that was the same for me. I would have never heard of Murray Walsh or, you know, Micah or really any art schools for that matter, had it not been for my own high school art teacher. So that's huge. And I also was thinking about, you know, your story of immigrating here to the U.S. and how art became sort of a saving grace and a way to just cope with that culture shock and transition. And I feel like that's something that came up even recently. We had talked with another artist, Riley's Vasquez, who's also based in New York and um, had a, a, a similar story that this was sort of an escape um, painting for him. Was It was sort of, you know, the, the only thing that he could pour himself into. And um, so it's, it's in- interesting to hear you um, talk a little bit about that, too. I wanted to know, after graduating from MICA, it, it sounds like you moved back to New York right away, but that was a, a, a difficult period just in terms of not, not making work um, consistently or, you know, working lots of odd jobs and maybe questioning, you know, whether this is something you still wanted to pursue. I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about that. Like, was it just the the transition from, you know, graduating from art school and trying to find your footing or what about that period was so challenging? And it sounds like at a certain point, you really had the encouragement from your family to, to keep going and, you know, decided to kind of go all in and per- pursue grad school as the next step. But I think for a lot of artists, you know, they might have made a different choice or, you know, maybe they kind of would have dropped off and we're so glad you kept going. But <laughs> I think, um, yeah, I, I, if you don't mind speaking to that period, um, I think, you know, everyone's been there at some point. Yeah, right. So I graduated from MICA in 2012 and I originally wanted to move straight back to uh, New York City, but my roommates were like also an artist. I got peer pressured. Uh, to stay in like after school they were like oh you gotta live a Baltimore life like not you are in school so like they're like oh like stay here at least one more year you know like it's cheap here it's like so chill so I kind of got bought into that kind of uh, sitting into Baltimore life and which I ended up doing and like for six months like I was bumming around I was watching like wire binge watching <laughs> I watched so many TV shows and like I was I wasn't doing anything actually I was kind of stopped making work too because I started to get broke too you know like doing all in on my like installation sculpture project like I was dead broke and uh, and like yeah I was just kind of drinking beer every night with my roommates like playing chess and and then somehow <laughs> Like my like uh, ex-girlfriend back then introduced me to Instagram. So I was like starting to, whenever I weren't like socializing, I like looked at Instagram and, at, and like, Instagram in like 2012, like there were only a few, like there were only like photographer type of people were using it. Yeah, it's hard to imagine, but it was, it was pretty new Yeah, like eight then. years ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there was like probably like less than 10,000 people using it or something. But anyway, even having like 500 followers was a big deal at the time, you know. But anyway, like I got connected to like LA, like photographers, like, you know, fashion photographer or like commercial, you know, pretty cool. I mean, I, I, I was like, wow, like literally something new besides uh, the Facebook, you know. Like at the time, we were all using Facebook, like Instagram now, like we we're all like spending like five plus hours on Facebook. Like, anything <laughs> we did, status update, you know. Yeah. But Instagram mm. is a brand new thing, like a TikTok now kind of thing, you know. And I was like, "Whoa, this is so cool!" All this, look at all these like photographers like traveling around, like seeing new things. And I got kind of motivated to be more proactive with my life through seeing other active 
photographers around the world, especially ones in LA and New York. And I was like, you know what? Like, let's like strip like every little penny I got in my saving, and let's go to like uh, let's go to West Coast. So as a guy went there, and then I was like, wow, it's so beautiful. Like, I was like start to be obsessed with photography, you know. Like, like all these people I followed had a really like artistic painterly pictures and I really work hard. I put a lot of hours, a lot of soul into Instagram back then. And then I got connected and you know, like I, I was like, wow, photography is so cool. So yeah, like I spent maybe like two, three weeks until I got like flat as broke and then I came back to Baltimore and I couldn't even pay rent in Baltimore. So. I like, kind of naturally went back to my mom's place in uh, New York and I really start to hustle, you know, like start to work at like restaurant, Korean restaurant, like, like you know, like busser, you know, cleaning table or whatever. And then I did a uh, Thai food delivery. I tutored a uh, drawing class to like preschool kid. I worked at like just some commercial gallery. I started to kind of work my way up there as I knew some people in New York. Like my Cooper Union friends or some of my high school friends were living there too, you know. So like I started to work at a commercial galleries and I started to um, do a lot. I started to like work for like bigger corporate, just like a freelance, you know, like putting a tile for their new like store or like holiday, like Christmas decoration. I like worked as a like a gig worker. Still, you know, from I guess my parents' perspective, I was like bumming around, like, you know, she went to college, but just like doing all this work that non-college work degree worker could have done, you know. I guess they were getting, my parents were getting a little like kind of like, concerned and they were like, why, why aren't you like painting, you know, like didn't you like do well in school, like didn't you always like tell us like you love this and painting makes you so like focused, you know, you look happy and focused when you work and I think they were starting to be a little concerned. I mean, my parents are very like laid back in terms of kind of it's very non-Korean, like, non-traditional Asian parents. They kind of uh, really let us discover our own passion, you know. So um, I feel really lucky about it. But uh, my dad, which never gives any advice usually, except just sleep on time, eat healthy <laughs> food, be kind to other people, really basic, you know, boring advice. He always give those advice, <laughs> but this time he was a like, why don't you go to like MFA, you know? I was like, no, you know, I, I don't I don't think so. Like a lot of other successful artists didn't necessarily go to like grad school, you know? I, I start to give an examples. And she was still like, no, you gotta, you need a degree for like, and I was like so annoyed. But then my mom <laughs> was like, you gotta go to grad school too. I think he's right. And then I start to kind of look into few schools. And, you know, once again, I was like dead broke. So I only looked at, kind of a cheaper affordable schools but also was in New York because like I just couldn't imagine going to other area and paying rent and whatnot and then I got a school scholarship at a New York Studio school in like like downtown like around West Village, Greenwich Village in Manhattan and then yeah I went there and then everything my new life's happened you know I, I enrolled as a sculpture major and sculpture wasn't something that I really explored in college. I mean, I took a bunch of classes because I was interested in and I was interested in being an architect. So like, I like, it was a great learning experience. And then, yeah, and then being in grad school, I like went all in, you know. But I guess, yeah, Instagram, I still have a very deep, long and complex relationship with Instagram. But it started, it, it kind of, uh, you know, it did a lot of mental damage to me too. Like what it does to every human being. But I think Instagram, I'm pretty grateful. You know, it, it is still uh, one of the major way of meeting new people or creating a relationship, you know. Yeah, I guess uh, social media always plays certain kind of an important role in my motivation, but also my uh, like a daily, yeah, daily uh, life, you know, daily routine. 
Yeah, I wanted to ask, um, it sounds like going to grad school really signified a, a, a kind of a recommitment to being an artist. Um, but what are there ways where you starting to either engage with the New York gallery scene or or just, you know, connect with other artists in New York um, or maybe using social media as a tool at that point? Like what other things were starting to happen that, you know, really began to generate more more opportunity for you? Yeah, I mean, for me, I am not from like well-connected like art or well-connected period family. I mean, my I, I have huge respect for my both of my parents, but they aren't necessarily like art people or, you know, like socially well-connected people. They are just like, like hard-working parents who really care about just a family kind of thing you know they don't like go to museums nor like interest in like fashion or other things you know but uh yeah so like i like only way i knew that even in uh baltimore in micah the only way i got to be very fairly well connected in micah was just make good work in classes and i was a uh, pretty like friendly to you know most of friends regardless of whatever you know so I tried to do the same in New York but of course like I realized that uh, it's just better to focus on the work and less on the social part like being friendly to everyone you know so I mean nor I had a mental or spiritual luxury to be nice to other people because I was desperate to just like eat not a junk food you know so i just worked so hard i went to a lot of galleries museums and i shared it on instagram and like i think people start to notice that oh this guy is pretty serious about like art oh this guy is like loves art i think i start to get little attention from my friends but also from like strangers who like follow me you know and a lot of like uh, connections i made in new york were abroad it's usually people uh, either DM me or uh, email me, you know, through the, like, Instagram. I think I start to, like, develop certain, like, bonds with certain friends, you know. Yeah, there are some of the relationships that I developed that have been uh, professionally helpful. Like, so, for example, this show I got recently in Uptown, like, I met him three, four years ago because he like sent me a direct message. But he is very like kind of a well-connected artwork guy, you know? So, which is a kind of big deal. Like, you know, like when I was a kid, I was like, oh, like, like how do I like meet them kind of thing, you know? Yeah, but uh, I've been, I guess like I've been kind of lucky with uh, meeting a lot of uh, good serious people because I've been very serious about it, you know? Yeah, and it's a chain reaction from that, you know. You just meet like one or three good people and they will like introduce and it's a snowball effect, you know. It's just like that person's that, that person's family member and it just grows, you know. And at a certain point, like I cannot like keep up with all of this, all of the people. So I, at the end of the day, I just work, you know. I just make painting, like, like I sell a painting, for example, but... Like I can like relax and I can like like celebrate and like spend it on like drinking or whatever. But I just like buy more paint and I just like I invest on in, like for example like you know I made I, I I sell a painting and then I like reinvested it on like a taking of like a better photographer so I get a super high res photographs of my work you know whereas before mm -hmm. i used to kind of take with my thing my camera and then i spent like hours editing hours like 20 30 hours unnecessarily long but now like i can get it done in like three hours like professional guy who only does that thing and they know so outsourcing it you know so like now you know i, ha I have more yeah. budget so i work with like really high quality framer and I work with like uh, top quality like art handlers, you know, so uh, I get to spend the money on those to kind of better future my practice, you know. 
Yeah, you can start to reinvest in your own work. Yeah. So were you just starting to build on some of these relationships that were coming about organically in the form of studio visits? And is this also how some of those initial opportunities to show your work came about? I'm curious to hear a little bit about your relationships with galleries. Um, And you've already had some significant shows at places like Berg Ruin Gallery here in San Francisco. Um, And I know most recently at... um, Helen J. Gallery in Los Angeles. Um, so how did those things start to come about for you? Uh, so Barbaran Gallery in San Francisco, which, which is probably one of the big like, mark in my lifetime because uh, after that show in 2018 in May, I start to like kind of uh, encounter or get linked up with some like a real artwork people, you know, who has like big name artists or whatnot, you know. And also Burger and Gallery has this name value. They've been in business for 50 years in San Francisco and they're like second generation art dealer and the owner John Burgeron's son, Alex Alexander Burgeron, he's a third generation art dealer, but now he has his own gallery. So they've been definitely extremely helpful in terms of kind of a status symbol almost, you know. Like they have a good like artistic roster of artists they have exhibited or worked with. So just me being associated with them or actually do like first legitimate art show there with like Shara Hughes, who is really already a big time, been very well respected in the art world and is still hot, but very like kind of a popular artist. And then I showed with her at the same time. Shara had a solo show on second floor and I had one in the third floor. So I think that kind of gained extra attention. So ever since then, I was a full-time artist actually. After the show, up, up until that point, I was working as a barista in Williamsburg. I, I made a coffee and matcha latte, like serving croissants. I was mm-hmm. like so tired. And, and for the, at the same time, I had a small studio at the time. So I work in the morning or afternoon and then I go to studio and like I really work hard. So yeah, I definitely went through one of those, you know, young artists living a doing a two job kind of thing, you know. But after that show, like the show we did really well. So when I got the check, I was like, holy shit, like I don't, you know, <laughs> need to do this anymore for a while. So I stopped yeah. working as a barista and also I was touring. I think once a week or twice a week, like somewhere far away, like little babies, like three to six year old Korean babies, like kind of playing with them, drawing, whatnot. So I've quit both of them. And since 2018, like June or July, like I've been doing this full time. So it's been almost 2.5 years of full time artist, but feels like it's been like longer than that, actually. I, I really. I think I told someone I've been full-time for like four years because it feels like four years, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but only 2.5 years and actually a uh, struggle every day, you know? Yeah, I'm curious to hear because I feel like you are somebody who has been really proactive about growing their career alongside their work in really intentional ways and who also works more or less independently as an artist. You have these relationships with galleries. Um, and I know we've talked a little bit about this behind the scenes, but I would love to know, you know, w- what kinds of conversations are you having with them? Is this a part of a kind of a long-term plan that you're developing together? Or are you still kind of very much like calling the shots and at the center of kind of deciding what your next move is going to be. Like, I'm curious, you know, how, how much of a collaboration is it for you at this point? And what, how are you sort of thinking long-term about your, um, you know, your career and where you're headed? Yeah. Uh, well, it's a very uh, tricky and sensitive question, mm-hmm. but to be as um, uh, candid about it as I could be to answer that, is um you know all this like myth about like okay so just to answer straight away i don't think like either i or the gallery even knows what i mean by that is like i think at least my experience has been it's like you kind of uh, feel the vibe together you know like i don't think my dealer really knows like how long like we're gonna work together 
nor I do, or we never like said, oh, we're gonna work for three years together, five years together, you know? You know, like I, I worked with fairly nice three galleries, like Alexander Berggren in Upper East Side, Helen Jay in Hollywood, and uh, a Berggren Gallery in uh, San Francisco. And I might be working on with some really, really good gallery in Europe. But uh, my experience being like, I think we just kind of both figure out as you go, you know? Like, so in other words, it's like a dating or it's like a meeting a human relationship, you know? Like, okay, like, let's say like a dating or marriage, you know? Like, you know, you need some time to, you know, kind of figure out if that person is reliable or, you know, if you want to like commit like lifetime partnership or whatnot, you know? Even if you think that person is like perfect, after like years, you kind of figure it out. So, so going back to gallery relationship or even art dealers, I think it's like pretty organic, you know? Like, like for example, even if you have a sold out show, it's not like, oh, we will give you like another show like right away, you know? Like gallery has a lot of uh, rosters of artists, you know? That they have like 20 artists and they need to be fair to other artists too, you know? I think certain galleries, if certain artists do well, they give a show within like 18 months or 24 months, you know, like I think it's all different, you know, like if your show doesn't do well, like it might be, you might be over, you know, that might be your last chance, but maybe a certain dealer might give you one more shot or two more shots because the dealer really believes in you, you know. So I think uh, my experience, I'm, like, once again, I'm like, still fairly like young and, you know, I'm like learning a lot each day from my personal experience and relationship, but also I'm like learning from like, indirect relationship. Like I'm like hearing bits and parts from certain artists that had uh, 10 plus years of my, you know, I'm like, wow, holy shit, that's crazy. I'm like learning new things. And I'm like, wow, you know, like, so like perspective, I'm not gaining perspectives, you know, you know, like working with a great gallery doesn't solve your life problem, you know, that can lead into another big task to be solved or be faced or confronted. And, you know, I, I remember I was talking with some fairly well-known artists based in New York who relocated recently to a different city. Like he asked me like, oh, which gallery is your dream gallery or which gallery do you ultimately work with, you know? And I was like, you know what, like, you know, I do have certain name galleries that I want to work with because I like the artists they represent. But like whoever approached me and wh whoever I can kind of uh, create a dialogue or relationship or whoever I feel comfortable with, you know? Because like, honestly, like I wasn't so familiar with Berggren Gallery in San Francisco because I was so focused on New York Gallery or like certain galleries in like Europe, like London or Paris or Brussels, you know? Like I didn't think about showing in San Francisco because LA is a lot more diverse than San Francisco, you know? So I definitely thought about certain galleries in LA, but somehow San Francisco was never on my mind, you know? Nor I actually never been to Berggren while I was in San Francisco, like twice or three times I visited this past like five years. So were they another Instagram connection? I forgot, maybe I don't remember if I asked earlier. Berggren, I think family, the son of the owner, she introduced my work to his parents. And I think uh, his mm. parents gave me a shot, you know, which I'm very grateful. Mm -hmm. And which were very like like a serendipitous, you know. I just never even thought, imagined, you know, I would show there like so soon or like there, you know, like San Francisco especially. Yeah, but anyway, it just like happens sometimes, you know. And um, you know, like certain galleries that I used to work with or like was my dream gallery. Like as much I like hear about bits and parts from about the experiences of certain artists. I'm less kind of crazy about, you know, working with them, you know. So like now, like, I'm like, you know, like gallery thing is a whole another word, you know, like I'm just an artist, so I'm not an expert, you know, like I just have few bits, 
you know, like I have a few limited experiences, you know, I, I mean, I've definitely been to a lot of shows, so I know, I know, I kind of, I can feel the owner's taste, I can feel certain qualities about the gallery owner and the program and steps they manage and operate. But, uh, you know, like ultimately, I think the question about galleries for an artist, I think just artists just gotta like work and make the best work they can. And hopefully the right dealers with right vision for you will support you. And I think that's the best uh, scenario, you know? I mean, of course, I still have a lot of a big name galleries that I would love to build a long time relationship. But now, like, the more I spend time in New York and working here, I really start to, every day, I really want to rather work with like a younger artist who I can create like a long time, like decades of um, relationship, you know? Yeah, it's a different dynamic. You know, it's more like a leveled, um, leveled uh, conversation. It's not like a hierarchical, you know? Oh, you're like a baby new artist, you know? We work with this legendary artist, so you gotta like, like listen to us, you know? More like, it's a different kind of a conversation, I think, with the younger art dealers, you know? You're more like a, yeah, I think it's a different dynamic. I think. Yeah, someone you can kind of grow alongside with um, that's also growing their career. Yeah, I kind of grow alongside, yeah. Yeah, because they're younger gallery dealers. I mean, I like besides those three big galleries, I work with. I mean, I'm having a show in like New Jersey right now, big group show. Like I'm like doing like a lot of different art shows here and there, that I'm not like promoting as much on Instagram. But uh, it's more like uh, I can feel that the gallery owner is kind of learning as we go too. You know, mm. so it's kind of you know there's a good and bad. Yeah, I wanted to ask you because it seems like having conversations with other artists has served as a a kind of a reference or a guidepost um, at at different points in your career. And I'm wondering what are maybe like misconceptions that you had or things that maybe other artists might have that that you've learned along the way or through talking with other artists that you would want to share. So what what misconception about an artist? Or I guess ideas from maybe the point when you were in in college or grad school when you were you know asking other artists how are they sustaining their work? Right. Um, how how have those ideas changed for you? And um, you know what are some some things that you've kind of learned um, through your own experience or other artists? I think one of the biggest kind of a myth that I unveiled at least for now is that uh, even if you work at like the brand name gallery, you know, like everyone would know, you know, if even if you work at certain gallery, like I think I mentioned earlier that your life is not straightened up, you know, there's still a lot of things you need to deal with. I mean, like, I am still pretty ambitious because uh, like I have certain goals and I have certain visions about my practice. So like I'm definitely a very ambitious young artist type where I do a lot of research and I also spend a lot of hours in the studio and I, I'm pretty active with meeting new people or welcoming like a visitors to my studio, you know? Like my kind of a priority used to be, okay, let's get settled up, let's, you know, make, let's produce as much and as quality work as I could with given time and let's develop a chop-chop, let's develop a relationship, let's get going, let's slide through. But then, you know, like this kind of a politics about, oh, you cannot show too often, or you, you know, you gotta kind of play the game. I was like, yeah, you know what, actually, like, it's great if you establish the name value by working with the name value gallery, but still, Behind that, like all these artists are kind of struggle in many ways, you know, like, uh, you know, even sometimes financially, you know, like I, 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 I was shocked and I'm sure like some people would be shocked too. Like, oh, like this artist like still, you know, worry about the finance or this, this artist, you know, you, you thought he would be settled for life, but he's still like, you know, like worried about the next show or like next body of work or worrying about his, you know, like kind of trajectory 
for his like next like a decade or so you know so yeah i think uh i mean like i used to i mean this i was probably immature thinking that and also didn't know a lot of other successful artists so that was the biggest misconception that even if you work at Bergurian or even if you work at like Zwerner, like one show at Zwerner, <laughs> like, like when I was a kid, like one of my alumni uh, friends from Micah showed at Zwerner and I was like, holy shit, his future is sad, you know, but you know, like it's not necessarily the answer, you know, yeah, if some people like quit making work, some people like restart everything some people go to grad school some people kind of uh, do something related to art that's not about like selling and all that you know and i think that's something i really thought about too after college like you know i just thought about working at a gallery or a museum or even auction house where i can see great art at work but I'm not necessarily financially like struggling every day, you know. But uh, at this, like, and then like I met some more like art business type people, and then I realized that paying the bill, like salary, wasn't also happy thing either. So I was like, you know, what? let's just be myself and just like you know do what I do best, and I'm trying to do that as much as I can now, you know. And one last thing too about the misconception, like being an artist, I think you guys already uh, talked through this a lot in previous episodes, but being an artist is like no kidding, you know, like it's like a entrepreneurship, there's so much more business uh, that involves as I, you know, realize, you know, I mean, I, I mean, like, yeah. I mean, like no wonder like Jeff Kuhn, Murakami, Damian Hurst, they are business people because they're successful. And I'm sure like any, any, even like painters, painter, they all, at the end of the day, they are kind of a business people because you are working with the business entity, you know, like the gallery, like superpower, you know, and not even just galleries, you work with like institution, you work with private collector, private foundation, you work with, you know, like it's at the end of the day, it's really about the capital as well, you know, so like I, I, I'm trying to study as much business as possible too you know but at the same time like not trying to be too business savvy so that i kind of uh, lose the original intent of making work you know so yeah i think it's something that uh is very important for kind of a perception of an artist you know like i'm sure people who know already knew like art is a business you know like War even warhol like said it already like while ago and I think all these Renaissance artists were business people, you know, like, yeah, I think that's something I personally been learning, you know, that, wow, this is like seriously exhausting enterprise, you know, yeah, like nonstop, mm -hmm. like working is hard at the studio and then you got to respond to email like sh shipping, logistic, insurance, studio insurance, like liability issues, like, you know, like, crazy yeah yeah it involves so much more planning and strategy than you think and like when you're especially in kind of the art school experience or at least speaking on behalf of like when we were in school because I assume we had pretty similar experiences especially being there at the same time but I feel like career development was not as much of a priority at that time and hopefully I feel like I'm seeing it become more of a priority now um, especially now in 2020 as we're seeing complete shifts in kind of how every every world is functioning so we're coming to the end of the year and we're recording this in early December do you take the time to figure out kind of what you want your short-term or long-term goals or kind of timeline of your work to be or are you approaching it in a very kind of intuitive go with the flow sort of way are you very like I have a strategy, I have a plan, I have these set goals, this timeline, or some somewhere in between. Right. Okay, going back to the professional development thing, like, I think my year, once again, was the first year Micah offered a professional development class as a part of the mandatory oh. program. So I, I think uh, we had to yeah. read the artist guidebook or something, you know, that red dot, the mm -hmm. infamous book. And then... And then I was, that's, I think that's how I start to kind of think about 
how to sustain and how to manage the studio practice in more uh, structural manner. So one of the like questionnaire was like, oh, what's your like a three months short term goal? What's a year later? What's like three year, five year goals? You know, and I remember I had to like write it down. And I, I, like, I, I wrote down, I, I wrote down, like, <laughs> I was like, pretty ambitious. Like, like in three years, I, I want to show it, like, MoMA PS1, like, five years, I'm going <laughs> to be in collection of MoMA, you know? <laughs> but, uh, I mean, those things happen, like, I think those things will happen, but not in five years. So, like, now I am less kind of uh, keen on writing, uh, like, even three, five-year goal, because that kind of, uh, when I look back, I'm like, so miserably failing at all this so i'm actually more like a short-term goal person like okay like in three in a few months i'm gonna get this size work finished so i can get it documented with this guy you know and oh yeah by the next year i'm gonna show at this gallery so i better get my shit together you know and i visualize it and that makes me work and I've been kind of getting by like that, but I think I, I've been thinking about writing down again, you know? And hopefully my priority and my kind of a pace is adjusted to more realistic, but also kind of a healthy way, you know? So yeah, I, I still see the benefit of writing down like a long-term goal. So I think I should actually do that. But uh, yeah, I'm more, I mean, I'm also like less like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm strategic enough, but I'm not like super strategic where I'm like, oh, like I need to like, you know, do those things. I mean, I think I kind of used to do that when I was like younger. Like I like looked up all these like New York events, like museum events, and I went to certain thing and I went to certain curator, certain author, certain, you know, and I like made an effort to like speak to them or like, asked if I could work for them. I did uh, all this hustling and then, and then there was a value and virtue on that. But uh, now I am, my priority is just work in my studio and make the best work I can. And I think all the magic has been happening, you know? That's it for this half of the conversation. Tune in next week to listen to part two. That's it for this episode of the Beyond the Studio podcast. You can find show notes, references, and a brief summary of the episode over at our website, beyondthe.studio. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our mailing list to find out about upcoming guests, special announcements, and podcast giveaways. I've been really appreciating seeing the sunset over New York in the background know, through Miku's window. Too. It's been really beautiful. It looks like a painting. I wish, <laughs> I wish listeners could, could see it now. Yeah.